Hey, romance besties. This is your homegirl, Shawnee. I am so excited because today on Authors at a Glance, Bridget and I have the pleasure of interviewing badass indie romance author L.J. Shen. She's a self-published author of such sexy books as Vicious, book one in the Sinners of Saints series, Sparrow, and All Saints High series. She writes the hottest sex scenes in modern romance and is absolutely an author to watch. We will definitely be following her journey. So without further ado, here is our chat with the lovely, genuine, Lee Shen. Romance at a glance. Uh-huh. Romance at a glance. What you saying Romance at a glance. Go ahead, girl. Well, hello, LJ. Thank you so much for being here. I'm Bridget. This is my co-host, Shani. Hi. So excited hey. to be here with you. <laughs> um, so we wanted to start by giving you some mad props about building such a huge following without having a publisher behind you and sort of a yes. machine. Yes. Yes. And, and I must say for writing some of the hottest sex scenes in romance. Okay. I'm giving you that award. Yeah. Right okay. Yes. I'm doing a little dance here. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, and on that note, thank you for being here. We are thrilled to pop your podcast, Cherry. We're so excited. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much. I couldn't say no. I mean, I, it was tempting for half a second because I'm an introvert, but I couldn't say no. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because we've had a few authors who are like, oh, can you just send me written questions? And I'm like, but it, it's a podcast. Be our friend. Come be our friend. <laughs> so, Bridget and I are like that. We are very friendly. And when we meet you in person, we'll be like, hey, girl, what you doing? How you doing? <laughs> I know I'm better in person because when I can act, well, I mean, now COVID happened, but like when I, when I can actually like hug someone or like, you know, talk to someone and, you know, see them face to face, I don't have this barrier of, I don't know how to explain it, but like, I'm, I'm very much an introvert when it comes to like podcasts. I hate my voice. So I'm, I'm trying to shy away from this if I can, but like, seriously, like it has to end at some point, you know, I have to go. I'm glad you did it. I'm glad you pushed yourself. I, I know exactly what you mean. Like I'm super introverted when it comes to certain things. And like, I have to, I have to like hype myself up. Like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going out. We're going to do it. Yeah. Do it. And, and I have to look people in the eye when I'm talking to them. That's why being in person is so like integral. Yeah. So I, I, I feel you. I feel you, girl. You, do, you, do you do panels and sort of meet and greets and stuff like that? Or is that not something that you really do a lot of? Because I know, obviously, you have a, a massive digital presence and a lot of pop in Facebook groups, and you're really active and commenting back to all your fans and followers and, and readers of your books. But do you do anything in person? Obviously, pre, pre-COVID and hopefully post-vaccine COVID. <laughs> um, okay, so I do signings. Uh, signing events are actually really, really great because I'm drunk half the time. <laughs> So, and when I'm drunk, I'm an extrovert through and through. Um, And I do, I love, I love my readers so, so much. Uh, I know a lot of them in person. Um, I know them by name. So for me to just be able to, you know, hang out with them is like a huge thing. So I do signings. I did one panel at Book Bonanza that was last year. Um, It was a panel that was very um, important to me because it was about, um, inclusive writing and like writing outside of like what normally people publish in romance. So I did that. I 
hyperventilated. I had people holding my hand under under the table. I'm, this is like literally. That's not me. Like, oh, I had I had to have someone hold my hand. No, literally, Kennedy Ryan and Daryl Banner held my hand. <laughs> so, um, so I'm I'm doing I'm I'm doing them, I guess. But like, I feel way more uh, at ease when it's just like. Um, you know, through Facebook and Instagram where I can kind of like, you know, check my angle, uh, which I guess is, I mean, it's still me. It's just that I feel like I'm not completely exposed. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We put out an enormous amount of content in the world and it is, it is definitely easier to filter through different things versus when we're like, let's just make this video and post it today, or let's make this new podcast today and release it tomorrow. And um, let, me, let me let me tell you, when I met Bridget, Bridget, like I can take a picture of her any time. She could be looking a hot mess. She's like, post it, right? <laughs> and, and me, I'm like, don't post that. Don't you dare post. That. Look at my light. Okay, let's take it again. We're gonna take it ten thousand more times. Don't post. Don't tag me in something. I'm not looking good. Like. She convinced me. Bridget had to talk me off the ledge and she was like, Shani, just live your life. Take a deep breath. Okay. It's going to be all right. Even if you post a picture kind of ugly, your hair is not done. It's going to be all right. <laughs> this is the thing that I'm trying to do because it's so true, Bridget. Um, and like, I, I feel like uh, my perfectionism kind of like holds me back because I want everything to be perfect. Life is not perfect. I just, and I need to like move on with it, you know? Yeah. I mean, one thing that I think is, an important distinction is like, as long as you are still posting the photo or the thought or the obviously yeah. writing the book, I think it's fine if you need to take it over a few times. Uh, I just encourage Shawnee, like if she's like, well, we just won't post that. I'm like, no, we're still going to post something. <laughs> like <laughs> We got to do something. So uh, I think that's, that's like a nice sort of balance. Um, how do, I mean, how do you balance that? Cause you write, you know, two or three books a year. So how do you balance that? Cause obviously there's always more that can be edited. There's always more details that can be put in a book. There's always more that you can do. So how do you get to that point where you're like, okay, this is finished and I I'm going to move on to the next story. That's a great question. And um, so at the beginning, I used to write like one or two books a year. And um, I'm, I'm actually a fast writer, but a very slow editor. Like it takes me a while to kind of like, you know, put everything in place. And, um, and I realized that it is never ending, you know, like, I mean, if, if given the chance, I would just sit with a manuscript for until the end of time, you know, but then I figured once you find your team and you know that, you know, there's like this editor who's really good with timelines and there's this better reader who's like really good with, I don't know, um, you know, digging deep when it comes to characters you can kind of like, you know, put more responsibilities in like, you know, other people's hands. And that kind of like strips, strips you from, from the anxiety of things. Um, currently I am publishing uh, for a year, but that's going to slow down because um, I'm always writing like seven or eight months ahead of like my publishing schedule. So it has to slow down. Mm -hmm. But yeah. That's that. I mean, four books is, I mean, that's a lot of books. That's an astonishing yeah. amount of writing in a year. Uh, yeah. You just, you just talked a little bit about your team. Um, I, I would assume that most indie writers don't have a big team. 
Um, so I'm kind of wondering how you met them and like, did you have them at the beginning or did you sort of slowly add in more and more people as you've, as you've grown and as you've published more books and obviously had income to pay your team and things like that? Yeah. So um, it's, it's a great question again, but I mean, the answer is that I just, I, it's, it all happened really randomly. Uh, my life is very random and the way I do things is very random, but it, it tends to work. <laughs> um, so um, with editors, it's just like word of mouth. You know, I talk to other authors and, you know, you just find the people that you click with, but better readers, um, my very first better reader, Amy, I found her on Goodreads. I was actually looking for a better reader for Sparrow, which was my second book. And I was like, okay, I mean, I can't afford, <laughs> I can't afford more than one editor. So I have to like get a few better readers and we're still working together. Amy and I, she's amazing. Um, I feel, I feel like it's just a chemistry thing. Sometimes like I read someone's review and I'm like, they could be a great better reader because the input, like, I mean, four star reviews, because the input that they put there is something that I agree with. I could mm -hmm. use something like this. And actually my, my newest better reader, um, I found her because she said she, she just, she's a blogger. She wrote a four star review and I agreed with every single point that, you know, she basically, you know, had there. So I just called her and I was like, Hey, do you want a better read for me? And she was like, yeah, sure. Uh, is that is that a thing that you can just apply for? Because I could be a great person. <laughs> just say, just throwing it out there. I read yeah. a lot of books. Yeah. I have I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> You're gonna rip me apart, rip me to shreds. <laughs> um, you know, do you find that with your as you go through the process, your book that you initially sort of set out to write changes quite a bit, or do you find that it's more of like a fine tuning versus like a, Oh, this whole chunk has to go and we have to figure out a new ending or something. I throw chunks. I throw books away. That's the, that's the, that's the tragedy. <laughs> I throw 80 K books away. Um, and, um, it's every, every time it happens, like I always talk to my friend Helena hunting and I was like, I did it again. And she was like, Oh God, she's like, God damn it, Lee. Just stop it. I mean, it's, it's horrible to throw a whole book away, but sometimes it just, everything falls into place in your head, but then you put it on pen and paper. I was going to say pen and paper, but who does that anymore? And then, <laughs> and then you, you realize that it sucks. And you, I mean, it takes a lot of courage to go like, okay, this sucks. And I'm going to start, you know, from scratch. I'm the type of person who has maybe like 40 K of like additional scenes that I never use in each book. Like I, I never, I don't write clean. I just write, I dump everything into the word document and then I'm kind of like, okay, let's, let's clean up this mess. <laughs> you know, on here. Okay. Like, kind of like sorting through things. Um, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I know. So I, I don't know if you know, I don't think I mentioned this before, but Shawnee only exclusively listens to audiobooks. She doesn't read any books anymore. So we are very excited because we wanted to really attempt this season and sort of in our podcast to feature not only like, you know, people are getting published by these huge publishing houses and hitting the New York Times that everyone's heard of their book, but also feature indie authors, authors of color, like just a variety of different people so that, you know, we can kind of like get the word out about someone that, you know, the general public may not have heard about. Um, although obviously you write a ton of books and people read a lot of your books. Um 
how did you kind of get into that? A lot of indie authors don't have audiobooks. So how do you choose the narrator? How do you publish it? How does that work? So I sell my audiobooks to Audible. Um, I've done that from the very beginning. Uh, I'm happy working with them. Um, I choose my own narrators. I'm pretty I'm pretty picky. I'm I'm pretty picky. I, I have like I have this pool of like narr- narrators that I really love working with because I know them and I know that they can bring it. Um, I myself I love audiobooks too, but I don't listen to romance because <laughs> because listening to my own books is like a form of like torture. <laughs> can you imagine to, like your own sex scene? <laughs> no. I mean, actually I can me and my sister, fun fact, when we, I guess we could have gotten like CD ROMs from the library, but back when we were young, we used to drive across the country together to see our family. And I would literally for 17 hours in a row, just read romance novels cover to cover out loud to her while she drove. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) So like, it, it, none of it bothers me. Like I would be, I'd be perfectly fine. I'd be like, "Ooh, look at that sexy scene!" <laughs> so like, oh my god, she actually said that out loud. I'm like a five year old. <gasps> she said it. <laughs> um, I feel like I feel like that's kind of funny because I mean, my sister like told us the story of like Harry Potter because we weren't allowed to to read it. You know, it was very much mm-hmm. against like our religion. Uh, mm-hmm. So she like she read it herself and then like remembered it and told us the story like every night a new piece of the story and so that was the first time how I how I read Harry Potter or how I heard Harry Potter um but I cannot imagine for the life of me like in general my family is so prudish that we don't even say the word boyfriend um (gasps) this is your friend and so he's your husband but there's never (laughs) (laughs) I love this never (laughs) Okay, even now I say partner, but it's so strange to say boyfriend that you you won't ever really hear me say it. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm actually really curious to know. Um, so we um, we talked, uh, we were, oh, sorry. We were doing a, a whole season on J.R. Ward, right? And so one of the things about her series is that she was saying she keeps everything up in her head, like where... Um, she knows all the facts about the characters and she doesn't write any of it down and she keeps it all in her head and she's, you know, able to keep it straight, which we debunked, but (laughs) 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 but I'm curious to know how you, when you're writing a series, um, do you know all the books ahead of time, where they're all going? Are you figuring that shit out as you go? Do you have it mapped out? Does it look like, you know, that lady with all the math in front of her eyes, like meme? (laughs) It's exactly what it is. So you know the gif of of this guy that is, you know, doing all these, you know, uh, doing doing this math and like going like, come on, come on, brainstorm, brainstorm, that's me. Like I have, you can't see it here. Well, maybe you can, but like, I I literally have like uh, mood boards and like, you know, a ton of like notebooks with like every single freaking detail and like it would be something super dumb like you know I know that the fourth book is going to have this girl and I'm like she's going to have a mall on her nose like this is important to me it's important stuff we don't know this character yet but I and the thing is that unlike Jared Ward unfortunately I don't remember shit so I have to go back and read the book like three or four times 
and then talk to my beta readers in like a chat group. Like, okay, okay. What's, what's, what's his age? Because I, timeline is like the bane of my existence. Like I have 500 people reading over before I send something to my editor, because I know I'm going to fuck up the timeline. Something's going to happen. Do you have like a little wall where you're like, okay, in August, this is what happened in September. Cause that's what I would do. I would have like, I, I did this. Uh, if you saw the kissing booth on Netflix, I did yeah. an entire human. I mean, it was like, like an 8,000 word blog post about how the timeline of that movie is so fucked up. Um, <laughs> and the kind of reader that I'm afraid of. <laughs> oh I mean, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I think you have to remember seasons and like months. It's like, it's, it's a ton of things. It's just, it's overwhelming to someone who barely knows what day it is. You know, I, I think that, that I probably am like a reading worst nightmare as well, because I, uh, my brain fixates on like on facts and details of things. And so like, if I watch a movie, I can't enjoy it. If there are plot holes, if I'm like that, what that doesn't make sense. That doesn't, yeah. why would they do that? That doesn't make sense. Like that, that's what my brain fixates on. And then it doesn't matter how good the book is. I, I only see these holes. It takes me out of the story a lot of times. So yeah. So I feel like plot holes is where I shine because I can, I can spot them from like 500 miles away. It's just the freaking timeline. It's just the timeline. So, um, yeah. So now like I, I'm, I'm, I was just working on my current manuscript and like, I have like a ton of notes and all my notes are like August, September, winter time, like, you know, just generally what's happening there. Nothing is about the plot because that's something that I'm, I have this, you know? How do you usually write? Do you write like at home alone? Do you write at a cafe? Obviously pre we are all at our houses, but like, do you typically <laughs> like to sort of be out amongst the people scanning oh. the crowd or what do you like to do? <laughs> <laughs> shuddering. You can't see that, but I'm shuddering. Well, the listeners can see that. So I'll have like severe ADHD, um, which makes everything I do so much more difficult. So I have my own office in my house. It's actually like, you know, I have like a, a she shed, so to speak. So like it's outside of my house. Um, nobody's allowed here. <laughs> um, so this is why it's so quiet here. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a tour. Yes. So, oh, yes. Oh, nice. That's, that's my she shed. Uh, I can't write in public. I cannot. I, I, I can't. I don't know how people. My best friend, Charlie Rose, she only writes at Starbucks. So, well, now she does. She, she writes at home. But, like, she prefers to write at Starbucks. She really likes, you know, the hustle and the bustle. And I'm like, and, you know, this one time I was like, okay, I'm going to come with you and see how you do this. I could not read. I could not write like one word. I actually deleted like 500 words. I was so distracted. I was like, oh, this is, this is terrible. Just delete it. <laughs> so yeah, I, I definitely need my peace and quiet and I can't listen to music. I, I, my internet is turned off. I'm, I'm like a cave woman <laughs> when it comes to writing. Uh, so I'm curious, um, how do you, when you're thinking of your characters, how do you build a character that your protagonist can fall in love with? Like, what's the characteristics that you are kind of looking for them to have? So I think it changes because I think there are a few types of people that I could fall in love with, but my kryptonite, and I think my reader's kryptonite is 
the alpha male asshole and he has to be like super broken not just like a little broken not like you know cracked but like shattered like dust that you have to pick it up like with a freaking hoover and then start reassembling it like a like a sandcastle that's the type of guy that i'm drawn to i i mean granted i did marry a computer nerd yes yes not shattered at all the whole he he came like bubble wrapped but um for me like my my teenage mistakes the things that i love the most was falling in love with the wrong guy. But the wrong guy, you know, at some point they, they got married too. And now I feel like, you know, they're not wrong for their wives. So that's what I'm writing. How do you decide on the ages of the characters? So we we uh, read The Hunter for the podcast and also went back and we're reading some of the All Saints High books. And, and like, how do you determine the a the ages that they start out with and then like sort of what feels appropriate for their like happily ever after like daria and pen are like sort of sophomores in college but hunter you know they're only what like 19 or so 20 at the end of their book so how do you choose well with hunter i had I, I, I was kind of like pushed to a corner, a corner because um, it's a first in a series. And by the end of All Saints High, in which Hunter is a very minor character, he's like in high school. So I was kind of like, you know, I had to start where they're like pretty young. But like the rest of the series is going to be contemporary, which means that they're going to be um, 26 and older. Um, I, I like. Okay, so. I just feel like when you write romance, as it is, it is pretty, um, it's full of boundaries. You know, it's kind of, I'm not going to say it it has a formula because I don't feel, I generally don't feel that way. Um, If I felt that way, I wouldn't write, but there are a lot of restrictions. So I think, you know, different ages bring with them different, you know, struggles and different, you know, um, types of love. And I think one of the things where you can shine is write a high school book and then write a contemporary book. And one of the things I really want to do is I want to write a 40 year old divorcee. Like this is something that I really want to do. Um, oh, you got to write a Christmas book then because <laughs> all, all the Christmas books are divorcees finding love for Christmas. I mean, <laughs> right. So, yeah. So I feel like this is one of the only ways where, you know, you can, spice things up for yourself and for your readers, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, I I agree. We're actually, when we, when we were reading The Hunter, I was telling Shawnee that I thought that the next three books were going to all be, like, later on. Because yeah. the, epi- the, the epilogue didn't make it seem like anyone else had already sort yeah. of found their happily ever after. So I was excited. I was like, ooh, everyone's going to be mid-20s. <laughs> um one thing that's one thing that is fun though I think about high school aged is I feel like you can you do a really good job of leaning into the angst and also like the the overwhelmingness of your first time falling in love with someone like how all consuming every time they slight you or every time they do something nice to you like how much your mood shifts with that person's mood uh, I think that that I, like really felt deeply while I was reading your books. I was like, oh, I remember that where you're just like, they like 
they like don't talk to you in the hallway and your whole day is yeah. fucking ruined. <laughs> I love it. But, I mean, isn't it the most crushing thing in the world? Isn't like having your heart broken when you were a teenager so much worse than having it broken when you were like in your mid twenties? Mm-hmm. Like when I was in my mid twenties, I was like, okay, fine, whatever. But like when I was 15, I was like, this is the end. Like I'm never going to fall in love again. RIP. I mean, it was nice meeting you guys. This yeah. is like so funny to me. And I know this is going to sound really strange, but like, like I never dated in high school whatsoever because I came from a family that's very religious. There was no such thing as uh, dating, uh, even though my brothers kind of snuck around and did their own thing. Um, but I didn't even, I never got my heart broken at school because there was never any, you know, like whatever. And then as an adult, I've never been broken up with. I've always been the one to be like, oh, peace out. I'm good. Need to keep moving. <laughs> You know, so I hate you. <laughs> so, but you, none of the people you've ever broken up with, like you had to break your own heart. Yes. No, because I well, broke up with someone in college and I had to like, break. I knew we like couldn't, we didn't have like the same vision of a life, you know? Yeah. And so I knew we couldn't stay together post like post-college because like we just weren't going to want to live in the same city in the same place and raise the same family and live the same life. And so I had to like, I had to like break my, it broke my own heart to break up with him and break his heart. But I had to, I only have, well, two things. One, I have one boyfriend who he was there for me when I was ill. Right. So it did, I had to break up with him. It wasn't, it didn't break my heart because like having a conversation with him, he was like having a conversation with an idiot. I just couldn't do it. Right. So like I knew what had to happen, but it still hurt my heart because he had just been there for me so consistently and sweet. You know what I mean? But it wasn't like like I wanted to continue to be with him, you know. So like for me right now, I'm experiencing love like a teenager. Uh, So I feel like I'm going through what everybody went through at 16, like now in my 30s. But that's even more awkward, you know, because I, I, I wish, because I feel like, you know, the older we are, the more jaded we are and the more it is difficult to experience this, this giddiness, giddiness and, and you have this. Now I hate you again. Just like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, one thing that we both talked about was how much we loved the book covers, like we looked at those pictures and we were like, oh, the swag, the hair, the abs, the black and white. Like, like, talk to us a little bit about that. The, do you, I mean, do you source the models? Do you work with an artist? How do you do those? So other than the hunter, the hunter was Chase Matson. Um, he's been, he's been on covers before. Um, but other than him, I really try to make sure that my cover models are not anywhere else. And I think that is true to say for the rest of the series, because I've already purchased all the other covers. Uh, you haven't seen them before. It takes a long ass time for me to find them on Instagram, but you know what? Someone needs to do this job. Someone has to to do the hard work. So, so really quickly, because you said that uh, you uh, you do try to find them on Instagram. I'm assuming they're models on Instagram. Um, but I just have to say, like, I commend you for that because um, so many books use the exact same, not even just the exact same model, the exact same photo for their for their cover. 
And for me, the only way I know the difference between books is, is the cover, right? Mm -hmm. Like I don't, I might not remember the author who was what, but I remember the cover art. And so when it's the same person, I'm like, oh, I already read that book, you know, and I'll just go right by it. Or I'll be like, this is weird. And then I'm realizing like, oh, every uh, mafia or Russian mafia book has the exact same dude on it. Like, (laughs) you know, I think think it stems from the fact that a lot of uh, romance authors don't want to take the chance on a non hot guy cover because they don't know if it's going to sell. And I had, so I was dumb enough not to consider it when I first started out. So Sparrow just didn't have a guy on it. And I was dumb enough not to recognize that it could hinder my success. And that's why, and I think it, it, what's great about it is that, you know, um, my series is always like a hot guy. I like it. I, I, I'm happy with it. Um, it's, it's a lot of work to find new models, but like, it is what it is. But like when I write standalones, for instance, I always put like a, an object or something that is just, you know, not a guy. And, um, and it's so, it gives me so much satisfaction to get a cover from my designer and see something that I know for a fact no one else has, you know, like it's just mine, uniquely mine. And, you know, I don't have to wake up, you know, in the morning and see like the exact same model and the exact same pose. I'm like, oh, great. I, I paid good money for this, but great. Not better. <laughs> and also like you're doing yourself a service by spending that time scrolling Instagram and looking at rippling abs and comparing them. We recently started a a thing on Instagram, just doing trope Tuesday. So posting, you know, thirst trap pictures of beautiful men on Instagram and asking people what they think that trope is. And (laughs) I I literally just did it because I was scrolling Instagram one day and I kept seeing these astonishingly beautiful people. And so I just started posting them to our stories. And all of a sudden I posted like 30 and I was like, this is fun. I should give this gift to yeah. others. <laughs> I should pass it forward. Yeah. <laughs> this is my contribution to the world. You're welcome. The Lord's work. The Lord's work. <laughs> <laughs> An angel got its wing every single time you posted a picture of a hot guy. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> uh, are you thinking about or being approached to adapt any of these? Speaking of picking out hot people to be these characters, has anyone said like, hey, I think these would be a great freeform series or CW or movie or something? So I'm not sure how much I can talk about this, but there is one book that is currently, we're in talks, we're in talks, but it's very early and I don't want to get into trouble. No, you don't have to tell us which book it is. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, so we're, we're checking things out. I'm trying to stay very grounded and very humble because I know that it's very far-fetched. Um, so it's kind of like an addition when you're an actor. You just kind of like, you know, you, you, you sign the contract and then you forget about it because you know that probably nothing is going to happen with it. And this is how, this is how I roll. <laughs> got you got you um so one of the things okay i'm just gonna go on a little detour here can we can we just talk sex right now i just well i'm not so sick okay (laughs) yeah (laughs) well one i'm just curious yeah what what is your sign first my sign yeah your zodiac sign you're a Libra. Okay. I'm just curious. I'm always cu- curious what everybody's sign is. Well, what uh, are you? 
I'm a Leo. Ooh, what about you? I'm an Aquarius. Right. Interesting. I don't think I get along with either of you in real life, but <laughs> I actually I think you would because I would never mm-hmm. ask you, nor would you ever know. Because <laughs> whenever Shani asks these questions, I just sort of like I just sit here because I don't know anything about zodiacs. <laughs> Actually, actually, uh, Bridget is a air sign. You're also an air sign, right? So you guys get along. And I'm a fire sign, so we really get along. <laughs> yes. I like fires and you feed them. Um, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but I'm always just curious uh, what people's signs are. So, okay, anyway, you're, when when we read the book, I I think my first words were like, oh my God, Bridget. This book is so fucking hot. <laughs> yeah. She was like, smut level at the top. Love it. Reading it. Cat now. <laughs> must, must pick up another book. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And I think, you know, the funny part is, too, I think the book that we read before your book um, had fade to black sex scenes. So they would get through the foreplay and then and nothing. And Bridget and I were like, what? What's happening? <laughs> I was like, uh, what happened to what that happened? chapter? It gone. We it need it. <laughs> so so we, were very, we were very excited to, to get to your book. We were like, oh yeah, this made this totally makes up for the other one. <laughs> so so I'm curious to know, like. How you know, like, uh, how much sex to put in a story, how graphic uh, to get with that sex. Um, and have you ever been like, oh, my God, Lee, that's too much sex? <laughs> okay, so, I, so I've so i never had, uh, this is too much sex, but I've had, what the fuck were you thinking? I've, I've, I've actually, yeah, I've heard that a few times. Um because I tend to try and spice it up. And I'm, I'm, and I'm very, like, happy with the way I write my sex scenes. Um, I like to keep them um, memorable. But um, for me, I think two to three sex scenes is enough. Because there's, like, there's more, like, I th- the first kiss is, like, that's my kryptonite. Like, that's what I love writing. I always, like, wait for the first kiss. Sometimes I write it, like, before I write the entire book. Because I'm, like, I know, I know what's going to happen. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't do Fade to Black. I think it's a little, but, but you know what? I love reading it when it's done properly. So, like, one of the most satisfying things for me I don't know if you've ever read Eleanor in Park. It's not smutty. It's YA. But like when you get to the part where the characters kiss and it's like page 350 and you're like, ooh, just kiss, kiss, kiss. I, I love it. You know? Yeah. So for me, it's just a, a it's it's more of a uh, personal preference to write explicit sex. But then I talk to the narrators and, 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 you know, when, when we work on the book and I'm like, uh, well, I, I mean, this person knows what I just, that I'm like pretty much a pervert, which is great, (laughs) which is great. I join Uh, you. I join you as a pervert. Yes. (laughs) I, you know, I think it's totally fine. I have so many favorite YA and romance books that are, are very fade to black. And I think it's great as long as you know, it's coming. 
I think one thing that we appreciated going back to your covers is like, you know, there's going to be some steaminess because you see the cover, you know what you're getting. And there's, I think, I think delivering the book that you tell people you're going to deliver is so important in that regard. Because if I'm going to have great sex scenes, like I don't want to see, like if I see an an illustrated cover, I probably assume it's going to be more rom-com-esque than graphic. And then sometimes you open those books up and you're like, this book is dirty and I was not in the (laughs) mental space. I'm okay with it, but I didn't know. Um, And we, we definitely have a debate over like the illustrated covers versus the cover with the hot guy on it. Like the illustrated covers make us kind of, like for me, it makes me think more kiddish, more like, oh, have fun, this and that. So, so we've been pleasantly surprised once or twice where we're like, whoa, this book was dirty. It was dirty. <laughs> I've had some uh, books that have illustrated covers and are very dirty, uh, but I, you, you'll never hear me complain about that. No, 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 uh, no. no. So you said you're obviously the people who read your books, your narrators know, you know, that you have a a dirty mind, just like us. Uh, Curious to know when you first started writing romance, like how did your friends and your family and loved ones, like were people open to it Uh, or I don't know, weirded out? What was the sort of vibe? Well, um, Everyone was very supportive. I think the funniest thing is that my dad is kind of conservative. I'm not going to say super conservative because that's not going to be fair to him. He's he's a very open-minded person, but like he's a dad. You know what I mean? Like he's a dad, yeah. you know? <laughs> um, and um, he was, at first he was so proud because, you know, I was hitting lists and stuff like that. And like he bought all the paperbacks. And- <laughs> I went to his house and I see blood to dust um, on his shelf. And that's like my first anal scene in, in a book, <laughs> in a book. Um, and um, I was like, dad, you have like blood to dust. He was like, yes, I read parts of it to my friends. And, and I was like, you did? <laughs> you know that I wasn't the one who wrote the book, right? It was my husband. It was him. He made me do it. <laughs> It was like for like six months, I think every single time I looked at my father's face, the only thing I could think about was he read that anal scene. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I, I viscerally, I don't like my whole goosebumps, everything in my body just, just like stood up. Just imagining my dad, like even my dad listening to our podcast. Like my mom, my mom keeps saying like, oh, I should tune into your podcast. I'm like, no, no, mom, it's okay. Like, don't, <laughs> I just, you just support me by just saying, you know, good job, but the, I don't need you to, to <laughs> But isn't it right? Like, you know, you, I mean, you want your parents' support, but at the end of the day, just let me do my thing and don't ask anything, you know? Until this day, my dad, I think he knows that I'm, I feel awkward about it. So like, he doesn't tell me that he's doing this, but like, he would like, my mom would text me, dad says that you're a number one on Amazon. Congratulations. And I was like, and I'm like, seriously? I mean, the guy is like naked on the cover. He knows that I'm not talking about puppies, you know? Stop. Why do you have to be such a stalker, dad? (laughs) Why do you have to be so proud of me and love me so much? God. (laughs) On a a, like random parent note, uh, yesterday my sister called me because she had this like some big talk with my dad and, um, 
he told her, um, I'm I'm a, a free thinker. I accept Shani's lifestyle, right? Because I'm <laughs> because I'm polyamorous, I have two partners. He's like, I accept it, I accept. <laughs> I accept. What more do you want from me? <laughs> My sister called, she called me right away. <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. <laughs> I love but they're trying, and you know what? That's what's important. That they, is what's they, important. They're trying. It's, I'm actually really surprised. I'm that kid in the family who's broken every door. Like my parents have been very strict about, you know. And uh, so I, I told them. Everybody in my poly group was like, "Don't tell your parents. They don't never need to know." And I was like, <laughs> "I feel like a kid if I'm like trying to hide from my parents, you know." So I, I told them they handled it as as best they could possibly handle it, you know. Um, and but it's weird because they've grown. I, I'm expecting them to be super judgmental about everything, but they have changed like, like we all do, you know? So they're just like, if you're happy, we're happy. My mom was like, I don't understand it. And I don't, I don't necessarily condone it, but I also, that doesn't matter to me. Like, it doesn't like, I'm not going to do anything about that. You know? So I love you. <laughs> you know? That's really good. I mean, it just goes to show that, you know, you think you know someone and then they pleasantly surprise you. And, and that's, that's really touching. I love it. Yeah. It's really cool. So why, I'm curious why you decided, or, or I would, I, let me rephrase, presumably because of your success in hitting the number one on the Amazon store, you've been approached by editors at publishing houses to publish series with them. And I'm curious for sort of other aspiring authors or other indie authors, why are you choosing to stay independent and like kind of what are in your mind, the benefits and drawbacks? Okay. Um, so that's a great question. Uh, I am releasing a book with Molt Lake Publishing um, next March. It's called The Devil Wears Black. It's a complete standalone. It's a contemporary romance. I'm very proud of it. Um, I've, it's, it's done. It's finished. It's, I, I love it. Um, so I'm not like totally against it. I will say that <clears throat> when you are born an independent writer, there are a lot of things that, um, that you're going to find very, not very uncomfortable, but kind of uncomfortable in like trade pub. And one of those things, in my opinion, is you need to give them a, basically a synopsis that's like a breakdown of everything you're going to write in the book. And that's one thing that, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a pantser per se, but like, I know where I'm going and I can like, you know, midway, you know, through the book, I can take like a different direction. I don't think that this is something that, you know, traditionally published, traditional publishers love particularly. Um, I don't, I mean, I like choosing my editors um, I, I just, I like that the process is mine. I like choosing my covers. I like having the, the freedom to, you know, can a cover because I don't like it or like, you know, decide to buy like a, a new model, you know, at the very last minute. And, um, I think the freedom of being independent is very important to me at this stage. Um, I'm not against it if the right offer comes along, but like, I feel at this point where I feel at this point that, you know, just doing a traditionally published series because it's offered to me might not be the most, you know, um, 
the smartest thing to do, you know? Yeah, especially since you have such a dedicated fan base already who are already like, you know, reviewing your books, rating your books, telling people about your books, buying your books. Um, I also like the name The Sassy Sparrows. I think that fan base (laughs) name is really cute. Did you come up with that or did one of them come up with that? I did. Um, I I thought, so that was before I wrote Vicious and I thought, well, I'm never going to have a hit that's as big as Sparrow. So I'm just going to call it the Sassy Sparrows because that's going to be the book that I'm going to be remembered by. And then like shortly after, like three months after I released Vicious and Sparrow is not the book that I'm known for these days. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, that was, oops. <laughs> but I like the name, so it stayed. <laughs> I feel like that's an example of how we are our own biggest critic you know like I that what you just said nails it nails it on the head for me like um my friends will always tell me like like the songs I make or whatever they're always like Shani this this one's a hit and I'm always like I'm like it is it is I'll never make a song better than this (laughs) you know and then then I do (laughs) and then I do and they're like Shani this one you know but every time I'm like I'll never make a song better than this you know what I mean and I, I, I definitely feel that viscerally when you're just like, you're your own biggest, you know. <laughs> like, That's right. Yeah. Do you sometimes feel resentment towards that song of yours that everyone loves so much? Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Especially because people want you to create a song like it. Like, and yeah, if you re- deviate. Repeat, repeat it. Exactly yeah. the same, but just a tiny bit different, but exactly the same. Yeah. Have no freedom creatively. Yeah. <laughs> well, you get it. I think every artist gets it, you know? You get yeah. it. it it's, it's constantly, you know, the need to bring something new to the table, but remember, you know, remember your audience, you know, like read the room. <laughs> so, yeah. Read the room. That, that's not what they want. Okay. Don't, don't bring another ballad, but they, they want, they want the, the punk rock stuff. What what are what are you actually making? What what kind of music are you? Um, I make like an experimental kind of industrial rock type stuff. But I, honest to God, my friends always say that I there's no genre for me because I I really create based on my mood. And I grew up um, because my music was restricted. Like my mom loved gospel, so we listened to a lot of gospel, but you couldn't listen to a lot of secular music. So instead, I used to listen to a lot of soundtracks to movies because that was kind of a way around that. So the music from song to song, the genre changes because they're mood based and they're not necessarily genre based. So that's why, like, if I create this one song and it's like a heavy, heavy drum, like fast paced, whatever. And then the next song you get might be a very soft, like, (laughs) you know, emotional type (laughs) type thing. So there's nowhere to put me. And I think every time we talk to like um, like different managers or people like that. And they're trying to, they're trying to pin down what genre I'll fall into. They really never can, you know? And I kind of like it that way. Cause I'm like, I don't want to have to force feed what I'm, you know, like what I'm feeling or what I'm doing into a certain hole. Absolutely. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. It's I interesting. Think- Sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. It's interesting because I feel like, um, the 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 art that we consume between the ages of six and twenty two kind of like shape us to be who we are as artists. 
Because after that, you will you will listen to a lot of great things and you will, you know, read a lot of great books. But at the end of the day, the things that shaped you into who you are, you consumed them like way back, you know. So that's really interesting. I'm, I'm going to go and listen to your music afterwards because I think it's really interesting. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's also Appreciate it's it. also very, very good. Uh, I saw Shawnee perform live before COVID happened and it was excellent. Wow. Bridget has to say that though because I made. I don't. Ha- I don't have to say that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I would. I would have. That's just. I, that's just me not being able to accept the compliment. <laughs> I have to say that because Shawnee takes care of my kids all the time. <laughs> no, I would never. I would never lie. You know, I'm all about that honesty in my reviews. And Bridget, we. I mean, we. We are actually one of the things that we like. I mean, we talked about a long time ago. We had to like prep ourselves because we were like. We're going to be re- reviewing some of our favorite people's books and we're going to review books like that are not good, you know, and we're going to have to be able to like talk to these authors in person after we just ripped their book a new one. Like we got to get thicker skin. <laughs> Thick skin too, right? You know? yeah. We, we yeah. definitely, uh, we got our first, we, we, um, an author came on to like um, one of our, like our episodes of her book on YouTube and wrote us like a scathing, you know, review about it um and whatnot um and I I wrote a very nice um response back but it was just basically like when you put yourself out there you're up for review no matter who you are we're uh, people can review our podcast and they can be like this is shit you know these girls they ramble you know like (laughs) (laughs) no but it it is so true you cannot expect not to be criticized that's something that's very important and like you can't fight it either because fighting it would only make it worse you know not being able to able to accept and you don't have to i don't have to agree with the criticism i can think that it's wrong and that you know that person is wrong but i have to accept it yeah you know, yeah. don't don't agree with it necessarily i mean you have I would say an astonishing number of reviews on Amazon and Goodreads. How do you cultivate a space where your readers are encouraged to review? Because I read a ton of books and we only started reviewing in the last eight months. Um, I mean, I've probably read, I don't know, 200 books a year or maybe 150 books a year for the last 25 years. I don't know how long. Um, and I only written, I mean, I've only reviewed 30 of them. So how do you encourage people to break out of that? Like people like me who would read all 10 of your books, but not write any ratings. Like how do you get those people to engage? I don't think you really can. That's the thing. I mean, I can, you know, post in my group, Hey guys, if you've read, you know, blah, 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 and you've enjoyed it, then, you know, please leave um an honest review but other than that you can't really do much more um and i think you know at the end of the day it doesn't matter if you have a thousand reviews or two thousand reviews it doesn't matter that's 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 the bottom line like i've i've read some of the some of my favorite books have like 80 reviews i don't think it matters so um I'm very grateful for every review. And like, if you are listening to this right now, guys, please review my books. (laughs) But I think um, there is a fine line between being encouraging and pushing. And I'm trying to really respect the boundaries of my readers. 
So at the end of every book, I would be like, hey, guys, so if you want to, if, you, if you're going to leave like a, a teeny tiny review, I would be so forever grateful. But um, I can't really do much more than that. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Okay, so um, when you are writing your characters uh, and you think about, because right now there's a lot to do with diversity, inclusion, characters of all different cultures and that sort of thing. Um, And I know there can be like a fine tricky line (laughs) of, you know, writing a book that is uh, telling a story you know or not telling a story you know. So when you think about... um, that about your your characters maybe ethnicity or culture um how do you decide and how do you prepare for writing um characters that are very different than you or your experiences okay so um i i almost always write characters that are you know not me uh i'm i'm an immigrant i'm israeli i was born and raised in israel uh hence the accent um i'm jewish so that makes me already like not the kind of person that I'm writing usually. Um, I have a lot of beta readers and I normally always take like sensitivity readers, especially for each book that I write, if I write a minority. So um, I don't know if you know Broken Night or Scandalous, but in Scandalous and Broken Night, I have uh uh, I have a black character in Scandalous and then a mixed character in Broken Night. So obviously sensitivity readers, they're really helpful. Um, and just being a, like making sure that you're, you know, factual and you don't put, put your opinion into this matter. You know, like it's all about, you know, doing justice to um, the story and, you know, to the people in the story. Um, I don't like to to shy away from from writing about you know certain ethnicities because I feel like it's very empowering because already the romance world is so white. This is why I love YA so much because you know YA typically these days is just very diverse, and you can find yourself and your neighbors in in these stories. Um, so I think it's very, I think a lot of people are paralyzed by it. I have a lot of friends, author friends who say, I want to write about this and this and that, but I really don't want to get criticized if I get it wrong. And, and I, and I, and I really feel like, you know, just take a few more better readers, a few more sensitivity readers, you know, do your research for a month instead of like two months, but, you know, take a chance. It's, I feel like it's really rewarding. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with, I agree with that, which is like, just do a little bit more research. When you do research, you really, you get a ton of ideas, you know, because you're, you're like opening yourself to like a whole culture that, that it, normally you're not, you know, kind of like, not, not that you're not aware of, but you're not inside this thing. So that's another, you know, layer that is really good for your writing. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I, and it, you just basically said the equivalent of like, uh, do your research and ask and ask your black friends, which is what I tell people all the time, you know, yeah. or ask them, whoever that is, you know, ask them. <laughs> yeah, but there are things that I, and I always, I talked about it with Kennedy Ryan um, when I wrote Scandalous and I sent it to a better reader who's black and she's like, oh, I hate trend. And I was like, why? What did I do? 
And he, and she's like, he only dates white girls. And I was like, it did not even occur to me. So I went and switched it around because, because I, because I'm not aware and I need to be educated and I'm glad I'm being educated because, you know, as I was being educated, now I, I know something that I didn't know, you know? So it's that's great. A, that's a good, better reader. She, she saved yeah. me. That was, that was a good one. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's a part of the process. Yeah. Do you think uh, in the current, speaking of like situational differences, do you think COVID and kind of the strange times we find ourselves in right now will enter into a future book? Like like some sort of scenario where everyone is trapped at home. <laughs> how, how to fall in love when you are waving through a window. Yeah. on Netflix all day and gaining some pounds. Yeah. Um, I, not for me. Um, not for me because I'm going to say something horrible, but my life hasn't really changed all that much. I'm still stuck in the same office in the same <laughs> that I normally do um obviously like you know I watch the news and 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 my heart is broken but um I, I do feel like we're gonna see more dystopian books maybe um but dystopian is not my jam <laughs> so um it's I I feel like a lot of authors struggled with writing during COVID and and the first month like during March I was very unproductive because there was like you know it, it really felt like the apocalypse, didn't it? It did. So doomsday. So doomsday. Mm-hmm. We had the same thing where we were like, okay, well, let's just, we always, we, our, our motto is just keep showing up. Just show up. That's all you got to do. Just show up, put your shoes on, just show up. You don't have to do anything once you show up. You just have to show up. Sure. And uh, <laughs> so that was kind of our march. Like, okay, we're just going to keep plodding along and showing up. Not in any crazy way. We're just going to do our small things. But yeah, March it definitely felt like the world, like a billion people might die in the next week and and the world might go up in flames for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I, so I was really unproductive, but um, I, I, and I also feel like, you know, reading is, is an escape and I wouldn't want to write about something like this because I feel like it's so, it, it's, it's there, you know, like it's very, um, a lot of people are sensitive to it right now. A lot of people lost their their loved ones, and you know are struggling and struggling financially. And it's just it's it's a yucky situation, but not like in an angsty way, you know. Yeah, I feel that I feel that same way. I always say like, uh, you know, when I read my when I read a a book, I don't need it to have all the problems of the world in it. I know everybody's trying to address every social issue. Yeah, uh, but I don't need it in my book. I'm, I'm reading this book to get away from this reality. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. That's 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 where I am right now. Maybe it's going to change, but I mean, for now, the worst thing I could think of is reading a book about a pandemic. Like that, that would really <laughs> be awful for me. <laughs> but you know, but you know, it's going to happen because, like, every time, like, I feel like the romance world. Um, you know, you know what it feels like? It feels like um, fashion, right? So in fashion, you have like a, you know, they put on a big fashion show, they do avant-garde things, and then that fashion trickles down to, until it gets to TJ Maxx, and it's got, you got the TJ Maxx version of that fashion. Romance to me is the same way. Like a book, a big, a book will go mega, you know, like Fifty Shades of Grey or like Twilight or something like that. And then in the next following months, you get this trickle-down effect of really terrible books that are like weird recreations of the original, 
you know? <laughs> and so you know that there's going to be a bunch of pandemic books in about like four to five months. Yeah. It is, it is, it is true. Um, I, I do feel like maybe this specific, I, I think it's just, it's not a sexy situation, you know, no. COVID is not a sexy situation. No, it's not. There are a lot of, I mean, it, it's very, it's very sad to say, but like, there's something about war that, you know, is very, it, it really like opens up your heart and makes you experience all the f- feels sure. um, so like writing about soldiers is something that is very common. This is like, there's just literally nothing about it. That's right. You know, like just, you want, it's yucky. It's you. Yeah. You don't want anything to do with COVID. Yeah. Plus like you can't have sex scenes because no one's supposed to be getting within six feet of each other. And it's like, where's the fun in that? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> which is, which is really bad. I know. But I, I did think about this. You can still do a bunch of stuff from the other side of the room. I, you know what I thought? I'm going to just tell you guys, because it feels like the right time. My <laughs> thought was the porn should just be someone who has like, a, you know, those plastic sheetings, but only like their butt is sticking through it and their head's on the other side. <laughs> and then the people can walk up and it's like, that would be like, it would be like a glory hole, but plastic sheetings. You can still see the people. And it would just be just for COVID, you know what I mean? It would be like, I know you're having a hard COVID time, but here's a context. <laughs> I just want you guys to know that's that this was my friends. immediate thought. I was like, that makes that's the next Pornhub for sure. Oh man, when I like, I go to I go to like a polyamory support group like once a month, you know, and we just had ours on Zoom, and it's so funny because like poly people are trying to figure out how to juggle multiple partners during a pandemic and it's the saddest thing you ever hear you know and it was it's funny because a friend of mine um he like so i go to it's like a i go to a kink like i have a kink support group and a poly support group this is the other the kink one um but one guy has his girlfriend cam girl, right? So they're not in the same location, but she cam girls for him or whatever. And that's their COVID, you know, like solution. And I'm like, damn, why didn't I think about that? <laughs> yeah, that's the perfect no, solution. I, <laughs> I love it. But I, you know what? I really feel like, I mean, how bad does it suck to just date during COVID? Like your love life is basically frozen indefinitely. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, what if you've only gone on like four or five dates? Like maybe you've had, maybe you've had sex, maybe you haven't had sex, but it's like, do you commit to being COVID? Like, okay, well maybe we aren't going to live together, but we're going to like quarantine together in the sense that we're not going to see anyone else except for each other. So that at least we can like have some human connection and contact and, and human connection, sex physically. Or do you just like it fizzles out because you're not supposed to see anyone else? And I don't know. I, mean, I, I did read a lot of things that people are like, you better get Jane Austen, Austen up in this bitch and write me some fucking letters. <laughs> Which I, was I mean, that's what I told my partners. I was like, yo, I need letters. I need dirty talk. I need phone sex. I need, like, I had to be like, girls got needs. I have a higher sex drive than both my partners. So, like, I'm always like, yo, guys, let's get it together. <laughs> But I mean, I, I'm in that situation. I'm in the, the situation you described because I, my, uh, my second partner, I am, um, we've been together at that, when COVID started, we've been together maybe like 10 months, 
We're very much in love. We're very much in the new relationship energy. We are like all about each other. Um, and then I've been separated for him, from him for three months. And I was supposed to come home yesterday. And now I'm not coming home until August, the, the beginning of August. And it's kind of like this thing where like, for me, I'm like, should we break up? Like, you know, he's definitely like on the no train, but it just feels weird. You're like, we like, we didn't, I did not anticipate a long distance relationship doing, you know, anything like that. And like, I don't know, it's just been a very, uh, interesting, uh, situation. Like, I don't, I don't know what to do, but I think the good thing is being away from him for three months allowed the new relationship energy to fall off like the chemical love response to fall off. And mm-hmm. it, makes, it actually makes me feel better about our relationship because like at this point we're choosing each other. We're not, yes. it's not just driving hormones. You know what I mean? Like, and so now you get to see the consideration of the other person, the things that you're doing for each other that are just pure choice. And I think that's a totally different kind of feeling and a love than just like the frenzy of like, hey, yo, let's fuck. We're going to do this. We're doing this. Yeah, let's do this. <laughs> It's so true because now you have to actually get to know him, right? Like this is, I mean, it happened to me with, um, well, I was going to say it happened to me with my son, but that sounds awful. No. He doesn't go to school, right? So like I have to sit down and talk to him. I'm like, okay, what's up? And then you kind of like get to know the person better and, you know, really, really like, you know, connect with them in in a different way. But uh, I feel like COVID really sped up relationship relationships for some people. I really do feel that way. I feel like Sean Mendes and Camila Cabello would not be living with each other if it weren't for COVID. Camila needs to really, really send COVID like a love letter saying thank you so much, okay? He is so pretty. She is so pretty. He is so pretty. When they did that benefit and she sang and he played guitar, first of all, I was like, why is he also not singing? Harmonize, you lazy motherfucker and then second secondly i was like look at those two beautiful people trapped in a mansion with their baby grand piano just living life <laughs> yes and you i mean and, I, and honestly like i mean good for her i'm not i'm not jealous at all like totally not jealous but you know you know what covid made it happen if it weren't for covid there would be like you know going back and forth and like breaking up after like three months because you know we have you don't we don't have time to you know hang see, out with each other see yeah. each other but yeah, that's that's not happening. You have a lot of time now, bitches. So much yeah. time. Uh, do you have speaking of getting to know one of someone? Do you have a favorite character? Uh, that's like choosing between between your children. It really is. Yes, you can. It's so you can choose between. I almost forgot. Was that recorded when you when you refer to one of your kids as the new one? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I say it all the time. Um, she is. She's only no, eight the months other old. One. The other one. The other one. The other one. I will tell you right now. My favorite child is the two and a half year old because the eight month old is eight months old. She, the personality you can't compare right now. The two and a half year old's dope. The eight month old is adorable and chubby and laughs and stuff. But the two and a half year old can debate me about stuff and like tell jokes. I mean, yeah, yeah. The eight month old is like the side piece. For yeah, now. exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, I can tell you that there are characters that in retrospect I don't connect with as well as like obviously can you know 
characters like Vicious and and Dean and and Wolf from The Kiss Thief, but um, but I love so much so many of them for like so many different reasons. I know that I'm giving you such a freaking politically, you know. <laughs> Correct um, answer, but it's true. I really can't. I can't. You know, I've been through so much with these babies. Well, you you gave us three out of all of your books, so I'll take I'll take three winners out of the book. So wise of you. I just I just literally shot myself in the foot, and you took it. And good yeah. for you. Yes, I'll take <laughs> it. Uh, one thing that we always are curious about. We've been to a lot of panels, and a lot of authors say that they don't actually earn enough money, especially traditional publisher published authors to like support themselves or replace a salary. So maybe they also are doing another job and then writing at night or on the side, or maybe their, their partner or husband or wife makes up the difference. Um, have you found that you were able to, did you have like a career that you left to become a writer? Or did you start out as a writer? You know, is it enough to, to replace like a quote unquote sort of salary of, of money? So uh, my career kind of like crept in on me. I didn't want to work, <laughs> like period. I just didn't want to work, okay? I'm not even gonna sugarcoat it. It's not feminist, it's not, it's not cool, but I didn't want to work. Um, and um, I was actually, you know, I, I just, I got pregnant with my son. And my husband and I were, we just, you know, my husband is American. We just moved here um, to, to California. And I was like, cool, I'm just going to be one of these, you know, yoga moms. But like being a yoga mom while you're not a mom was like very boring because I was just like, you know, waiting for him to come out. So I was like, okay, well, what can I do? What can I do? What can I, I'm going to write a book. And things kind of like um, really snowballed from there. And I never thought about the money, the way I thought, I mean, the rush of like releasing a book, writing a book, having the reaction, um, the bad reaction, the good reaction, everything in between. Um, that's the thing that I got really addicted to. Um, so money was not an incentive. I know that it sounds Again, it it sounds like it doesn't sound very genuine, but it's true. Like I I really didn't want to work, but then once I started working and I realized that I could support myself doing this, I was like, okay, well, I mean, I'm all in. I'm all in. By that time, I had a baby and I had a full time job too. So I I was like breastfeeding. Uh, I was um, pumping, and I was writing two books like simultaneously, which is great. I mean, my life worked out seriously just the way I wanted them to work out. Uh, I wanted it to work out. So um, I, I do find that I do make enough money to support myself now. And I mean, I, I'm not gonna, again, I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. One of the reasons I stay an indie author is because I don't want to depend on someone else to tell me how much I should or should not make, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, you're talking to two people whose deep desires to be kept women. So we are on your fucking team. And ironically, like both of us could be if we didn't also have creativity and ambitions in yeah. that realm, because both of us could be kept women. And we just like, for some reason, keep doing things like, let's start a podcast. Let's do another thing. Let's make these t-shirts. Let's like, we can't stop. Okay. So we totally get you. <laughs> Which oh, yeah. is amazing, and you didn't know that, right? Like, but but it's 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 compulsive, you know. Yeah. Like you really have to do that, and I think that it's great, and that's it shines because 
it's genuine, you know? I mean, I, I honestly, I, I'm so bummed that I can't like go to my yoga, my baby and me class every, well, now he's four, so there is no way I'm going to get into a baby and me class. But like, <laughs> this was not the life I imagined. I don't have Jennifer Aniston's arms. I don't have Michelle Obama's arms. I don't, but you know, I, I write books and, and, I'm, and I'm happy. That's awesome. That's very awesome. Bridget and I are always like, why didn't we do this sooner? We love, like, we love yeah. this podcast. Yeah. No, no pants. Like, um, <laughs> <look>, Ma. <laughs> you know, like, the, the, the funny thing is that my mom is all about this podcast now. Like, because, like, the, the quick history is that when I was a kid and I would be reading romance novels, I spent the majority of my time trying to hide them from her. Right? Like, coming up with new crazy unique ways of hiding them. I hid them in my band uniform like bag. Like I shoved my band uniform in a hole in the closet and I filled the entire garment bag full of romance novels, you know, until she found it. And then I had to find a new hiding spot and a new hiding spot or I used to cover my books with paper and write Pride and Prejudice on the cover, you know? So she would always think I was reading, you know, The Great Gatsby or whatever. <laughs> and now, and now she's like, go in the, you go in, she's like, are you recording your podcast? Your podcast? Go in that room, make that money. Go <laughs> put, your, put your smutty. She's like, buy me a house on your smut, on your smut. <laughs> I got well. I was like, you got it. You got it. Got it. <laughs> but but uh, uh, I actually have a, a random question, which is, um, what is your particular reason for using uh, the author name with your initials in the front? I thought it was cool. All the cool kids were doing it. I kept, <laughs> again, like, I keep saying that. I cannot sugarcoat it. I saw Neil James and, like, uh, what was it? T.M. Frazier. And I was like, okay, so this is what we're doing? I don't even have a middle name. <laughs> Just in. I don't have a middle name. <laughs> From Julia, which is my grandmother. Who I love very much. She passed away a decade ago. I don't think she would have approved of how I used her name, but that's that's just the way it is, you know? I was like, I need a middle name. My parents were too lazy to give me one. So <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oh, uh, you killed I mean you just killed me. My my parents gave me six middle names. So you oh, can, can also take one of those. Now we need to hear it. I'll, I'll tell you off the podcast. I don't want everybody to know. Oh, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna steal your social security number because I mean <laughs> names exist. Right? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But my mom is a performer. So she was like, well, if I give you a lot of names, then later on in life, you can choose which combination of names you want. <laughs> that was her re- her rationale. That's savage. That's amazing. It's like, okay, I'm giving you a pool of names. Whatever works. Okay. Whatever works. Well, and, I mean, she, she wasn't wrong because um, all of my, my brothers all have super normal names, you know? Like, I guess the standard, like, da- Daniel Christopher type name. The girls all have, all, like, definitely different names she got out of an Arabic book. And, like, and then the, all of our middle names are it's super long, you know, like Maria Contessa. Like, it's, they're, they're all like, I'm like, why the girls? Why only the girls, mom? But we have all, every girl at, at some point in our life has used one of the, like, aliases or different combos of our names. So she wasn't wrong. <laughs> Yeah. But isn't it like so overwhelming for a first grader that wants to like write their name for the first time? Like this is a lot of names. It's a lot of letters. 
Oh yeah. It's a, it's a lesson in memorization. You know, you're teaching your kid like what their name is yeah. and you're just like, Oh, your name is Lil- Kira Lily. Right. You know, Kira Lily. Perfect. You know, Kira Lily. Right. <laughs> but, then, but me, I'm like, it was like a whole, I remember it was like a month process to know all my names. And then I found out I had one extra one that she forgot about when I got my official birth certificate. So like, <laughs> I don't even think they, when I, I'm like trying to think of when I had my kid, if they even had that many spaces on the form to have that many names. They debated at the DMV for an hour what to put on my license. (laughs) Okay. And they just decided to put my first name and S. And then because I'm uh, Hispanic, I have two last names. And they're like, Shani, S, and then my two last names. And they were like, that's it. That's what it's going to be. We need to save trees, okay? And they had to not only get the manager of the DMV, they had to go get the super, like the supervising person or whatever to make this decision. It was, it was fun. It was fun. <laughs> and then you were like, you know, in, in your heart, in your mind, you're like, thank you, mom. That's, that's great. Um, thank you so much for this. Super. <laughs> Uh, well Leah this has been such a pleasure thank you so much for letting us pop your cherry on this podcast Uh, before we go uh, let the people know how they can find you and connect with you and buy your books okay so thanks for having me and thanks for being gentle about popping my cherry Um, you can find me on my website www.com Author LJ Shen, Shen like Ben, but with S and H.com. Um, I'm on Facebook, Author LJ Shen, and on Amazon. All right. Well, you heard right. it here, folks. Go and check out her books. Uh, you can check out our podcast episode where we reviewed The Hunter. Um, if you follow us on Patreon, you can also catch us a few special episodes where I review uh a bunch of her other books because as you guys know when we do these author interviews then i just immediately swim down the rabbit hole and read all the books so uh check out patreon.com forward slash romance at a glance for that and uh until then may your books be your lover and your hand your best friend romance besties We love bringing you great conversations with your favorite authors and the most honest book reviews you're going to find. If you want to find Shawnee's music, head over to MarvelousXE.com. Want to support Romance at a Glance? Head over to Patreon.com forward slash Romance at a Glance to be included in our super secret discussion group and receive our Romance Mystery Box. It's not your grandma's mystery box. You can find us at Romance at a Glance on Instagram or head to our website, romanceataglance.com to see what we're reading next. We'd love to have you read along with us. And also, we answer our DMs, so please be friendly. Until next time. <laughs>